for for your grace and we thank you for all that you're doing in our hearts and our lives and and we thank you for your word that gives us hope that gives us uh, that gives us the peace that we need that gives us the the information that gives us the tools by which we can serve you and so father we pray now that you would bless this time that we have together for we pray these things in Christ's most precious name amen you ever get a gift from somebody and you say, man, this is, this is perfect. This person knows me. Now, I, I, I know we've all received gifts where you think, does this person know me at all? But the, the ones that we, we really like aren't, are the ones that we get that we say, wow, this person really, really knows me. They get me. And, and they understand the things that I like. There was a year that Barb just blew me away. Uh, uh, she... Uh, she had gone out, uh, we were down, living down in San Diego, and she had purchased for me a membership into the Harbor Island Yacht Club. That's right across the street from the airport there in, uh, at the harbor there in San Diego. And uh, they, it's a, it's, it sounds a lot fancier than it is, but what they do is they have a fleet of sailboats, and, they, and you can rent them. But they also, uh, they also provide sailing lessons so that you can get your certification, so that you can go out. On, on and rent sailboats and things, and whether you're going on the on the bay or you're going to go, you know, maybe to Catalina or something like that, then you'd be able to do that. And uh, she she got that for me, and it included the 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 certification I needed, the basic certification. And and I was just blown away. I thought, man, what a good wife you gave me, God. Uh, you know, she knows me. She knows where my heart is and what I've always wanted to do. And and that's an exciting thing, isn't it? Um, because uh, you know, it just tells you a lot about the, the the gift, but it also tells you about the giver, doesn't it, when somebody does that. And, and I want you to understand today that God is a giver, that, that God is a gift giver. He gives us gifts, not just for our benefit, however, but for the benefit of others. And and that's what we're going to look at today. We're, we're, we're in our sermon series, Begin, these first steps to the journey of faith. And and so we are looking today at spiritual growth, at spiritual growth. And this is where we begin to think about with all the gifts that God gives, what are they and, and, and how do we use them? But we're, we're going to kind of rethink, if you will, spiritual growth for just a little while. I want to challenge you maybe in ways you haven't thought about your spiritual growth and, and the spiritual gifts that God gives. Um, because... God's gifts aren't just gifts that we want. They're also gifts that we need. Uh, we need them uh, personally, but we need them in the body of Christ because the goal of God's gifts are to help us grow into maturity in Jesus Christ. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 to 7 there, and I, I, don't, want you to, I don't want you to have a heart attack. I know that there's, a, it's a, it's, there's three pages instead of two of notes, but that doesn't mean we're going to preach longer. It just means that there were a lot of passages that were kind of long, and I wanted you to have them uh, to be able to see them today. But when we read in 1 Corinthians 4, uh, 12, verses 4 to 7, this is what Paul said. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works in all of them, uh, in all men. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And so he talks about the fact that when we are given gifts, they are for 
for not just for ourselves, but for the people who are around us in church, for the common good, so that we can all grow up in faith uh, in Jesus Christ. And so we are, we are here today to talk about that. There are gifts. Uh, these gifts cause us to grow because, uh, like Jesus, uh, uh, and excuse me, come like Jesus because these are gifts like those gifts that are under the Christmas tree that when you pick them up and you use them, they actually do some good. If I had left that gift in a box under the tree, I would have never known and I wouldn't have enjoyed hours and hours of sailing uh, over several years while we were down there uh, and been able to take others out sailing, both our family and, and, and other pastors and people in my church. Uh, it was a great way to just get away, but a good way to talk and minister uh, at the same time. Uh, and, and so God gives us gifts that when we pick them up and we use them, they have that kind of effect. They, they are, they're able to, to minister to other people in their lives and to help them to grow as well. Uh, and, and you may not even realize the importance of those gifts, but once you do, I promise you, you're never going to look at church the same again. You're never going to say, wow, I don't see the need for being a part of a church, because this is where those gifts are used primarily. In, in the body of Christ, in that local congregation of believers where God has put you. Um, and, and then they help us to grow to spiritual maturity. We're going to be looking primarily at the, my, my key passages are Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to look at verse 7 and then verse 11 and following all the way through verse 16 today. But I wanted you to look right now at just verses 7 and 11. And there we read, But to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And then verse 11, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. And so those are, those are the gifts that I want to focus on today with you. Those are the things I want to share with you because he says here are four, uh, we call them offices, if you will. They are, they are offices of the church, the body of Christ, uh, a local congregation. They are they are the offices that God has given to us. And so today, I want to look with you, first of all, at the four offices of the church. The four offices of the church are, first of all, apostles. You might want to underline that up there in verse 11, the word apostles. People ask me quite often over the years. I, every pastor gets certain questions asked quite often. And one of those questions is, are there apostles today? Because it says there, he gives apostles. And my answer is yes and no. Yes and no, there are apostles today, and no, there aren't apostles today. Um, there, and let's start with the no part. There are no apostles today like we think about when we think of the word apostles. If I say the apostles, who do you think about? You think about the 12 who were Jesus, uh, and then we had Judas fall away, and then he was replaced. And Paul said he was the greatest of the apostles. We think about those guys. Those guys existed for a specific purpose at a specific time in that first Christian century as the church was being birthed and, and the, the, the New Testament was being written and all those things. They had a specific job. They went away. And so they are not, there are no more apostles like that. So there are, congr- there are churches, there are, there are organizations, some churches, some parachurches, some, uh, some uh, that we would call cults who say, well, this is our apostle or whatever. But they're not an apostle in the sense that, that the apostle Paul 
uh, would say that they were apostles or that, that he was an apostle or that you and I would think typically about the word apostle. But, um, but there, there is a sense in which we do have apostles because when we think about what, and what the word apostle means, the word apostle means one who is sent. An apostle is one who is sent. And so in today's world, in, in our Christian faith, who is one who is sent? One who is sent would be a missionary, wouldn't it? And so there is that sense in which there are those who are gifted with the gift of being an apostle who have a gift, a missionary gift, who are able to go to other cultures, other language groups around the world or across the street, but they're able to, to, they're able to come in and make an impact uh, and to be missional and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Many times they have to learn new languages, they have to learn new cultures, and they live like people that they were trying to reach. That's why Paul could say, I am the greatest of the apostles, because that's what he did, wasn't it? He spent his life, his adult life, being a missionary, going to other groups of people. Uh, he said, you know, both to the Greeks and to the non-Greeks. He said, I can go in and I can... I can, and I can reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, and, and why is that important? Because it's, it's very hard to be cross-culturally missionary, uh, to be missional that way. I remember one time Barb and I had taken a group of, of people from our church when I was a youth pastor down Riverside. We'd gone down through Calexico, down into Mexico for about a couple hours down into Mexico because they were dedicating a, a floor in a building that... Uh, that our church had, had paid to have put in to this church building. And when they were dedicating it, it was an interesting thing. They had a floor and they had four walls, but they had no roof yet. And, uh, and, but they were dedicating the floor. And, and so we went down. I drove some people down there, Barb and I, and I think it was just some ladies. We went down. And uh, another pastor from Calexico, um, who, was, who spends a lot of time down there with them, uh, went with us when we got down into Calexico to help us know where to go. And... Um, He's telling us a story on the way down or way back, I don't remember which. And he was saying that he had taken down his deacons one time and to the same group of people when they were doing some of the work on the building itself. And he said they, spent, they were spending a night down there. And, and he said these are guys who'd never been down into Mexico that far, and they, weren't, they were way out of their comfort zone. And uh, he said that that night they had they'd gone to bed in the home, and they got up in the morning, and it was time for breakfast, and they sat down, and... And, and the food was brought to them because when you're in Mexico or in most other cultures, you don't go into somebody's house and refuse to eat. You just eat. And you think, well, they don't have any money. Why would I eat their food? They need it, but you would, you would offend them terribly, so you eat it anyway. And, they, and he told them that. He said, I don't know what we're going to have for breakfast, but whatever it is, you've got to eat it. And you, you can't say, well, I don't know what it is. I don't like it. It doesn't smell good. Uh, in, and besides, you're really poor, and I don't, I, you know, I can buy my own breakfast somewhere. You eat what they give you. And so these deacons sat there, and there was something that they had no clue what it was. And this pastor thought, I'm going to have some fun with these deacons. Finally, I get to get their goat. And he, and he looked at him, and he said, you know, guys, he said, do you remember those kittens that were around last night? You didn't see them this morning, did you? And, and it wasn't that, but that's what they thought. And, and he said one of the deacons, one of these old deacons that he had, he said he, he, was, he looked at it, he looked at this plate of food in front of him, and all he could see apparently were those kittens. And he turned green. He said he was just green. But he was determined. And it was kind of like a, praise God, let's eat. 
but but he and he got it down and and it didn't come back up. Heard from another missionary who God had sent to Korea, not to not to Seoul, Korea, where all the mega churches are, but to but to way out in the boondocks along the coast of Korea, of South Korea, many years ago. And he said he was, he got there and and he was he went up to, to a house and the men were sitting on the porch, which was normal. And so he went up and he asked to join them and they sat down together. And because he was a guest, even though they did they weren't Christians, uh, they didn't know him. But he was the guest, and so they, the man called for his wife and said, we have a guest, and, and she immediately showed up with food. Well, they were on the coast. They were fishermen. And so they brought the catch of the day, and the catch of the day was octopus, and it was still alive. And they had simply cut the, the, the tentacles up, and he said they put before him a bowl of cut-up octopus tentacles that were still moving all over the bowl. And he said, God, I don't know how I'm getting this down, but you've got to help me get it down. And he ate with them. God gives certain people that gift to be an apostle, to be a missionary, to go out and to be able to do that, to learn that language, to to be able to deal with the cultural differences in order to be able to share the grace of God with other people. And Paul was that person. And and he he encourages young Timothy, too. Uh, but, but, uh, But... but he says this, he says, For there is one God in First Timothy, and one mediator between God and men, a man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, and testimony given in the proper time. And, and for this purpose I was appointed a herald, and a herald rather, and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, and a teacher of the true faith to the Gentiles. And God still caused people to be missionaries, to leave everything they have and to, and to serve others and to lead them to Jesus Christ. But friends, even if you are not called to be a cross-cultural missionary, if you're not going to be appointed by the Southern Baptist Foreign Mission Board or our, our International Mission Board or our, our, our NAM, our North American Mission Board, to go cross-culturally here in the United States even, um, it doesn't mean that you and I are not to be involved in missionary work. And so you can say, God, I still need to be an apostle. I need to be a missionary to those that I live among. And, and friends, there are a ton of people around here who have never heard the name of Jesus or who, who, are, who come from different backgrounds who just need to know who Jesus Christ is. And we have an opportunity to share. The second office or prophets, underlying that word prophets back there in, in Ephesians 4.11, the word prophets. Um, another question I get is, are there still prophets today? And again, my answer would be yes and no. And you say, Pastor, with, you know, I had to be running for office in 2016, probably. Actually, I'd probably be a good politician here because of, of being very wishy-washy today. Um, but uh, my answer uh, is, is very much like with the apostles. There aren't, uh, are there prophets today? Uh, the office of prophet, uh, in the biblical sense, is someone who spoke uh, to the people on behalf of God, and many times they foretold the future. In the Old Testament, a prophet would sometimes would just for, would just foretell God's word, but many times he would foretell what was going to happen. But it was not his own work; it was the work of God through him, and so he was telling what God wanted the people to hear, and so he was foretelling God's word to them. But there was a catch. To be a prophet in the Old Testament, you had to be right how much? 100% of the time. All the time you had to be right. Uh, and uh, because it, it, 
you know, there was, there was um, some things that you might want not to happen to you otherwise. Deuteronomy 18.20 says, But a prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything I have not commanded him to say, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods, must be put to death. That would limit a lot of the, quote-unquote, prophecy that we have today if that was practiced, wouldn't it? Because we have a lot of people who, who claim to be prophets who are not right 100% of the time, who are very seldom, if ever, right even. But we don't put them to death. Not today. But in the Old Testament, they were. So Old Testament prophets were speaking the words uh, that would become the Old Testament. But friends, the Bible today is written, and there is no need for prophets in that sense. We are not looking for another word from God. We don't need to have that. We have that in our Bible. In Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, it says, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by what? By his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. And so God used the prophets to write his word in the Old Testament. And he used the apostles in the New Testament. But the final word of God uh, was his son, was Jesus Christ. By the way, who is the last person to speak in the New Testament, in the Bible? It is Jesus Christ, isn't it, in the book of Revelation? He gets the last word. We don't need somebody to foretell, or to, to foretell what God uh, is saying to us today because he is finished. We have a completed revelation in that sense. And so if somebody says to you, I'm a prophet and I have a new word from God, a red flag should go up immediately and say, well, well, bless you, brother, but I'm not listening to anything you got to say from here on because we're done with this conversation. You cannot be a prophet in that sense because you're replacing Jesus Christ if you are. You're saying that the work of Jesus and what the God says is, tr is not true anymore. So the Bible is completed, and we don't have the office of prophet anymore. But there are people today who have a prophetic gift still. And the, the prophets of the Old Testament uh, sense were, were foretelling the Word of God, but prophets in the New Testament sense, and today, even in the 21st century, are people who are, who are foretelling uh, not the works of God, but they are forth-telling the works of God. An Old Testament prophet would say, if you don't straighten up in, in, in X number of years or X number of days or whatever, this is going to happen. In the New Testament, if you have the gift of prophecy, you are saying to people, let me, let me explain, let me share with you God's word of what's going on. And so in 1 Corinthians 14, uh, verse 3, we read, but one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. Let's think about those things for just a moment. Three things that the word of a prophet always must do. First of all, they edify, then they exhort, and then they comfort. They edify. It will build us up. The words of a prophet today ought to build us up. They must build us up. They, they help us grow in our faith because of it. So if somebody has that, that gift of prophecy, when you hear them speak or you're around them, it ought to build you up. 
It ought to help you to be more mature in Jesus Christ. They also exhort us. There's exhortation. That means that it will stir us up. Their words stir us up. We're challenged to put feet to our faith, to actually go out and do something with what we have. And then they comfort us. That's what consolation is. There's comfort. It will lift us up. It, it will remind us about God's attributes. And so, so we, get, we get excited about who God is and, and what he's doing. And the, and the problem is that every time it seems like that I, that I turn through the channels and I see a quote-unquote prophet on TV, or you're listening to the radio, or you're reading something that they've written, um, and, and they're, they're really trying to talk about how bad everything is, and they tend to put dates on it, and they say, you know, the world's going to end a certain date and stuff like that. That's not, it's not edifying, it's not exhorting, it's not comforting, it's not what Paul says that a prophet is to do today. And so uh, we need prophets who are going to speak prophetically in terms of edification and exhortation and comfort. Now, that doesn't mean that you cannot be doing that as well. You may not be able to put profit on your business card, but you can speak words into people's lives that build them up, that stir them to put faith into action, or that lift them up. And then thirdly, he says we have the office of evangelist. The office of evangelist. This one we think we get. Uh, there are people who love to share the gospel with people. Uh, and, and it doesn't matter what the conversation is, they turn it around into an evangelistic invitation. Um, uh, and it's just, that's just who they are. Uh, they, they are able to do that, and, they, and they, they live for that. That's what they want to do. But not everyone has that evangelistic gift. It's not everybody's, it's not every pastor's even. But everyone is called to evangelize. Uh, they just are. Uh, I remember when, um, when we had, uh, we had, uh, we had Monty McWhorter come, and you know Monty, down into Ceres um, many, many years ago. I mean, we're talking a long, long time ago. He was actually, he was actually kind of a middle-aged guy then. And, uh, and I was a young guy at that point. And I'd been working with this family, Ray and Bertha Spain, for it seemed like forever, but it'd probably been months. And, uh, I mean, I, I had worked with them so hard that I'd made friends with their pit bull. And, uh, you know, and, and I knocked on their door one time, and they thought, who's knocking on a door? And they said, nobody knocks on our door. And I said, because they had a pit bull between the door and the gate. I said, how'd you get up here? I said, I just made friends with your pit bull, and then I came up to your door. And, but I, and I shared, and I shared, and shared. Bertha was a member of our church, but Ray was unsaved, and he just would not listen. Finally, we had a revival. Monty came. He was our evangelist. I, he, we went over to visit him. I introduced him to Ray. You know, within 15 minutes, he led Ray to the Lord. I was almost angry. Ray, I made friends with your pit bull, and I don't even like pit bulls. I was scared to death, but I made friends with this dumb dog so that I could lead you to the Lord, and you wouldn't have anything to do with it. I bring Monty in here 15 minutes later, you're saved? Because Monty has a gift of evangelism. That's his gift. And I, that's not my gift. And God gives those offices to the church. He gives those people with that gift of evangelism. And... And that's what they live for. They look for people on planes to sit by that they don't know so they can talk to them the whole time. 
And the longer the flight, the better, because they're going to lead somebody to the Lord. You know, rather than looking for a place where nobody's sitting, that you don't have to talk to anybody. That's, that's just who they are. But people don't necessarily have to have the gift of evangelism to be about evangelism, do they? Because all of us are called to evangelize. He just gives certain people that office of evangelist. Well, when we think about it, though, if we're going to evangelize, then we need to be prepared and we need to be looking for those opportunities that God does give to all of us. And by the way, um, two weeks from today, we're going to start a for four weeks on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. We're going to be going through how to share your faith, uh, a study we've done before. If you've been to it before, I've done it one other time since I've been here, so it was about three years ago that we did it. Uh, you, you can come if you want to. You don't have to come because you, you have that material. But if you've never been there, if you don't really know how you could lead somebody to the Lord, you come and uh, we're going we're gonna to have somebody who is a, a gifted evangelist be our teacher and, uh, you will, and you'll have an opportunity to learn how you could lead somebody to Jesus Christ um, so that you would know what to do. Because, um, but even if you don't, uh, you've got to understand that, that you don't argue people into the, into the kingdom uh, because they see Christ living in you. That's the best thing that you have to offer to them is your, your Christian experience before them. Paul said it this way. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Uh, so you see, that evangelist is a gift to the church because there was no... Uh, there's no evangelism otherwise. <laughs> There's no, nobody would have ever gotten saved um, and become a Christian. And, and you're here today if you know Christ is your Savior and, and you're a Christian because somebody shared the gospel with you. Somebody either was an evangelist or acted evangelistically to be able to lead you to the Lord. And, and that's our role as well. And uh, again, Paul, talking to young Timothy, says uh, in 2 Timothy 2, 4, 5, but keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. We don't know whether young Timothy had the gift of evangelism, he was a pastor, but, uh, but either way, Paul said you still got to do some of that work of evangelism, so make sure you're diligent about that. Uh, and you may not be able to talk to strangers about the gospel, but but we're called to talk to those that we know and love about Jesus Christ who changed our lives. And then fourthly, there are pastor teachers. The office of pastors and teachers. Uh, we see it here uh, in, in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. He says I, that Jesus Christ gave, gave apostles, he gave, a, he gave prophets, he gave evangelists, and he gave pastors and teachers. And when we look at that, that, that phrase, pastors and teachers, I want you to underline that. Uh, it, it, this is actually in the original language, in the original Greek. Uh, pastors and teachers is really just an hyphenated word. And, uh, and, it, and it's really this. It's so it should be translated or it could be translated pastor hyphen teacher. And he gives evangelist and pastor hyphen teacher or pastors hyphen teachers, however you want to put that. And so it refers to those who are entrusted to care for that local congregation, that's the pastors, and to teach them God's word, that's their teaching. And that's what I do. That's my gift. I, I believe that God has gifted me uh, with that gift of pastor-teacher. 
uh, and and that's uh, you know I, I even before I was a pastor in title I was doing a lot of that because it's just what God gifted me to do um, you know I it's it, it may be what people like about me and what drives them crazy about me at the same time I'm not sure uh, because I, I want to turn everything into a teaching situation uh, just it's just my it's just my gift it's my nature to want to do that even my son calls me on his way home from work sometimes about four four thirty and and he asks me something and I say man you're on you're on the road you're gonna be there for half an hour I'm gonna turn this into a teaching situation and he asks a question and I'll and I'll do a lot of teaching and uh, and and so he didn't call me all that often but um, but that's what I want to do uh, and, and here's the deal pastors and teachers teach they instruct people in the Word of God, and they do it in a way that is not just informational. It's not just about information. It is also applicational. It is about how do you apply this to your life. Because information does not change your life. We, we forget that, or we maybe never even figured that out, that just having a lot of information about the Bible, being able and able to beat everybody in Bible trivia, does not change your life in the least. It does not help you to grow in the Lord. But when you take that information and it is applied to your life, that's what causes us to rethink what we're doing and turn to God and, and why we're doing things. And, and First Peter, Peter says it this way in First Peter 4, he says, Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. So when I speak, you ought to be able to say, I was hearing the very words of God because it applies to my life. And Pastor Terrell helped me not only to know about it, but also how to apply it to my life. That's my responsibility here at Berea Baptist. This is where God has placed me, and this is that's my job. That's what I that's what I what I what I get excited about doing. But what if you're not a pastor? What if you're not a pastor? And but you're. I want you to know you're still called to teach others God's word. If you're a Christian, uh, there are times it may not be behind a pulpit. But, but it may be behind the wheel of your car. Maybe you're at work and you're, going to, you're taking a co-worker, a couple of co-workers to lunch. And you're driving them and you're talking to them in the car and over lunch about spiritual things. And maybe you become an evangelist during that time too and you lead them to Jesus Christ. And so there are times when you're able to teach, when you're able to speak forth God's word. And, um, and so you, you, you take care of that. Uh, and... It, it applies to how you're raising your kids. Dads, uh, those of you who have kids, I want you to understand something. You're a pastor. You're a pastor to your home. And your congregation is your wife and your children. Now, it doesn't mean that I'm not their pastor as well, but you're with them a whole lot more hours than I am. And God has put them under your, under, under your headship in that family. And so you are to be, you're to be the spiritual leader there. And you're, you're called to, to lead them and to teach them God's word. Proverbs 3 says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. And then, uh, and then he says in Ephesians 5, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, and cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. 
So, so what's the point to all of that? Why, why are these people such a blessing to us? Well, it's because whether they are apostles or whether they are prophets or evangelists or pastor teachers, they help us to grow in the Lord. That's, that's what they do. Uh, we, we finish out this portion of Ephesians 4, verses 12 through 16, with these words. He says, He gave these, these to the church to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves um, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the, by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth, truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each each part does its work. That is the fruit of the work of these men in our lives. It's what a mature believer then looks like. So let me end real quickly with three things. Three things their influence produces in us. As these gifted people work in our lives, we, are equipped, we find ourselves equipped to serve. We're equipped to serve. You see, believers are the ministers in the church. You may never thought about that. When somebody asks me, who are you? I don't... I mean, minister is the, is the word that society wants to put on us as, as myself and, and men like me who are pastor teachers. Um, they say, you're a minister. Well, really, I'm a pastor. That's my job title. That's, that's who God calls me. I do ministry, but I am not the minister at Berea Baptist Church. And I never will be. Because you are the ministers at Berea Baptist Church. You may not be able to put apostle or prophet or evangelist or pastor on your business card, but you can put minister because that's who you are. We are all ministers. We are to do the work. I, I help equip you so that you can do the work of ministry here. Uh, and you may never thought yourself as a minister before, but you are a minister, and I am, if you will, the, the one who administers that, who, who helps you. Uh, and, but most churches hire pastors and, and associate pastors and staff to do the work of ministry, and, and that may not be all wrong, uh, but it's not all right either if, if that means that that the congregation, the laity, the lay people in the church sit down. Uh, it'd be like uh, today at the Super Bowl, whatever time that is today, there's going to be, um, there are going to be 22 guys on the field who are going to be running up and down and working really hard, surrounding by about 80,000 people in the stands who are going, who really are in need mostly of, of running up and down and getting exercise, sitting back and saying, we paid to watch this spectacle. And that's what happens in, in most churches. In most churches, we have, we have paid people who, who we say, well, you are the minister, so go out and do, go forth and do all the work. And God says, no, you got it backwards. They are to help you get ready 
to go out and do the work. And so my role is to equip you to be effective in the ministry that God calls you to be a part of. Uh, I'm here to teach you up, to train you up, to equip you up, and then to release you uh, and into ministry uh, and kind of get out of your way uh, to make a difference. And that's why Paul uses the illustration of a body, and every part of the body has a specific function, and uh, they're not all the same. Um, he says uh, in 1 Corinthians 12, and I won't take time to read all that. You can read it, but he talks about the parts of a body. Can you imagine if, if your body was just one, one big eye? You might be able to see the TV really well, but how would you turn it on? So well, I would just have a, a voice remote control. Oh, you don't have a mouth. Can't do that. You couldn't, you couldn't watch TV. The only thing you could really be good for is to watch TV, and you couldn't do that because you couldn't turn it on or off. You also couldn't get into the TV room. And you had no posterior to put down into the seat. So, you know, it wouldn't function very well, would it? So if we all had the same gift in the body of Christ, that's what would happen. We would be we would be we would be completely ineffective, um, and so that's why we need each other because we all have different gifts, and that means that we can have different ministries, and we and we do we, we function in different ways that that are effective because that's who God called us to be, and that's what He wants us to do, uh, and so if the church is functioning like a body then the teachers are teaching, and the deacons are deaking, and the singers are singing, and there's a partridge in a pear tree somewhere. You know, it's just, it's what, it's, it's how it's supposed to be. And it functions well. You don't want me doing your music all the time. Betty, we want doing music. You don't want me doing the music all the time. That's, because that, that's her gift. That's not my gift. And, and he gifts musicians and, and, and others and singers, and, and that's what we need. And so we are, when we are, when we are built up by these, these people who God gifts as the offices of the church, then we are equipped to serve. Secondly, we're established spiritually. Uh, we're established spiritually. It, you, you know you're growing spiritually is another way to say that. You're stable uh, every new teaching that comes down the pike, whether you turn on the TV or the radio or you read a book or you, you attend some congregation somewhere and, and, and you say, you know what, um, I, that just kind of freaked me out, what they were saying. You're not freaked out by that kind of stuff. You, you understand that, that maybe it's, it's, it's off base. Why? Because you are rooted in God's Word. Colossians 2, 6 and 8 says, So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live for him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith, as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive, deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of the world rather than on Christ. That's why we teach the book here. That's why we teach the Bible, why we go through the Bible, and we teach it every Sunday. I don't get up here without God's Word. We don't do Sunday school without God's Word in front of us. 
Um, we teach theological classes. Uh, Mike is just finishing a class for another couple weeks, I think, a week or two on the Baptist faith and message on Wednesday night. That's a theology class that helps us understand what it is that we believe. And, uh, and I just finished the book of Revelation that we went through for a year and a half. Uh, and just doing book-by-book book types of things. And we're going through, uh, we just finished going through the book of, most of the book of Romans in Sunday school um, because it helps us to know God's Word. And, you know, I want you to have a good time, and I love joking around and telling stories. And, uh, and, but when I, I, I teach because I, I believe, I teach that way because I believe that a little sugar, you know, helps the medicine go down. I'm a Mary Poppins fan. And, uh, you know, and it, and it does. But, but we really exist to equip people here for ministry and to make them stable in the faith. Our vision, the vision that I have for Bria Baptist Church, ends with this statement, developing fully devoted followers of Christ. That's our goal. There is no other goal that surpasses that for a local church in God's Word. That's what we're called to do, to develop fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. So you want to know why we have a church and why church is so important? Because that's where you become a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Because you have these people who are going to help you get there. And then thirdly, we're empowered in our influence. We're empowered in our influence. Um, you, know, you know what makes a Christian influential? It's living what you believe. It is just living out what you believe. And that's why he says, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him, back over in Ephesians chapter 4. Maturity comes to those who obey Jesus Christ. It's just how we grow. Uh, James talked about not, not listening to the word uh, and not doing anything with it. He says, not merely listen to the word, but so to, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says, and then you can read on the rest of that. But you know what happens? A lot of times we have people that, that hear God's word, but they never do anything with it. You want to grow up into Jesus Christ. You want to grow into spiritual maturity. In this, as you be, as you as you grow and you're in this passage, this journey of spiritual maturity, then you've got to do. Doing has to become a part of it. And it, and it happens sometimes very quickly. Um, you know, you ever send your kids off to school when they were little, moms? And they were, they were in clothes that looked like they fit them, and it seems like they got home from school and they'd outgrown everything. How did that happen? How did they outgrow their clothes so fast? Well, because pretty much you have a kid, you put food in front of them, moms cook it, kids eat it, and they grow whether they want to or not, don't they? It's just kind of automatic, isn't it? It just, just happens. Some cook, moms cook different than others, and some cook better than others, and, but they just grow. They just do. But it doesn't happen that way with our spiritual maturity. It happens when we're intentional about growing and when we do the things that promote growth in our lives. That's what happens. I remember marking as Tim was growing, our son, and, and, and he would grow and grow. And there's a place, if you were to go to 9931 Delia Lane in, in, in Santee, if they haven't changed out the door that went from the front porch into the garage, um, it's still there on the on the door frame. Uh, are all the marks of his of his growth, and uh, and sometimes he would get really excited about that because there would be a big jump every six months or so. We would we would do that, and we would and we would put that on there 
when I would think about it. And sometimes he'd get just very excited about that. Um, and, and that's how it's supposed to be, that, that, that we ought to get excited about our spiritual growth because, because we're intentional about it. So the question today to leave you with is, uh, are you going to do the things that cause spiritual growth? Are you going to do those things that will cause you to grow in the Lord? Are you going to serve? Because when you're serving, you're going to grow as a Christian. Are you going to memorize Scripture? That's why I give you a lot of Scriptures to memorize. You notice I didn't give you one today, Mark, memory verse, because that's I have place else to put it. What I want you to do is go back to the first page under the word, under that apostle, one who was sent, missionary, 1 Timothy 2. Uh, no, I'm sorry. That's the one, the one above it. Uh, Ephesians 4, 7, 11. That's your memory verse. It's after two verses for this week. Go ahead and mark that. Um, are you going to memorize it? Because when you memorize Scripture, it causes you to grow as a Christian. It just does. It's like eating the food that is good for you. Or, if you need to today, you can give your life to Jesus Christ. If you haven't done that, if you haven't trusted Him to be your Savior and Lord, then you can begin that journey. Let's bow in prayer as we come before God.